Hi, this is Anna, and this is Check It at the Round Table, where we discuss movies, books, music, and stuff. Today we are discussing the Thai BL drama series, Love by Chance 2, episode 13, peeps. This is the final episode. Anna has been waiting for it to come out for a whole week, and unfortunately I'm not very patient on some things, and this was one of them. But it finally came out. I was able to watch it after three or four tries, because... The ones that were up on YouTube kept flipping the subtitles, reversing the letters, which is very confusing to read a mere image. But anyway, this was a great episode. Again, huge caveat here. This is not a show for kids, peeps, okay? So this is something that you can watch by yourself with your significant other, but it's not for the kiddies on this episode, definitely. But it was still extremely entertaining. This episode opens with A setting up a cell phone to record himself playing a song. And you really don't know exactly what he's doing in this scene because it then pans to Tin and Can, six months after the previous episode, where they're living somewhat happily, somewhat a little combobulated in their condo, and Tin is sleeping, and Ken is trying to get him up to take him to school to get his classes done. And it is a funny scene here. I mean, it's not entirely appropriate, but it is absolutely hilarious, because Ken is just so completely honest about everything he thinks through his brain, which comes out of his mouth, and you're sitting there going honestly can. Are you really going to say that? But yeah, he does. And it's one of the things that I think makes Ken so endearing is that he is just completely above board on every single thing that he thinks. And so this scene basically involves Ken is trying to wake up Tin to get him ready to go to drop him off at school. And this is kind of unusual because I would have thought in the in the dynamics, Ken would have been waking Can up because that's how Can usually is. He sleeps in late. He never gets to school on time. But you know, I don't know. I think Can really matured after he met Tin in ways that you really weren't expecting in the relationship. And it's funny because he's sitting there going, "Wake up, Tin! Come on, wake up!" And then Tin wakes up and he says. Boy, I didn't realize how good looking you are and can and Tin's like, you know, we've been together for over six months now and you're just realizing I'm good. What a what a what a lucky guy you are and Ken's like, Okay, that's enough. I'm gonna go make you some toast. And that is what I think makes their relationship so hilarious at times. Um, as Ken is being dropped off of school, Tin asks him what's special that's coming up the next week and Ken cannot remember that it's Tin's birthday the next week, which Tin does not take too well. And so then as the story progresses, Tin goes to visit his family home where his brother and Gonhin live with Poon. And that is not going terribly well. It's not going terribly bad either. It's just that um, Poon is not too happy that Gonhin's there. But it's kind of interesting as Gonhin has gone through this a while. I mean, Gonhin had to deal with Tool being difficult when Tool was a kid and he was a kid. Gonhin had to deal with Tin being difficult as a kid. And now he's dealing with Poon being difficult as a kid. And I think Gonhin is one of the rare characters in the show that, although I'm really not quite sure what he saw in Tool, to be absolutely honest. He really does, in many ways, 
make people better who are around him. Like, for example, with Tool. When Tool and him got back together, Tool completely reversed his behavior. He went from being an absolute never mind to being someone who, you know, you wouldn't want over for Thanksgiving dinner, perhaps in the American term, but you wouldn't necessarily absolutely loathe and hate with all passion. I mean, no offense, because he really did have some absolutely irredeemable qualities. And not to say that was stymied, but with Ganhin there, Ganhin could say, you know, Tool, I don't think this is a good idea. And Tool actually became his secretary <laughs> during this time, the six month period that we are in now. And he really did help improve the company and do things behind the scenes. And I think that's really what Gonhin excels at. He will sit there and go, how can I be of most use quietly? And how can I make a difference in the world where, you know, people aren't necessarily looking? And his way that he handles Poon and trying to deal with the fact that Poon doesn't want him there. And Poon's very vocal about it. He's like, I don't want you here. My dad likes you more than me. I don't want you here. And, and Poon's like... And, and Hin, Gon Hin's like, well, you know, why don't I get you some ice cream? And, you know, I know you think your dad loves me more than he loves you, but the honest to goodness truth is, Poon, your dad loves you very much, and everyone in this house loves you very much. And I really like how instead of getting all defensive, Gon Hin just kind of sits there with Poon and listens to him and hears him out on stuff. The... As the story progresses, Tin comes back for a visit. Um, Gonhin and Poon are on the couch, and Poon asks Tin if he could take him to the beach with um, his dad, Tool, with Can, and Gonhin can come to as an unhappy addition, in Poon's opinion. And so that's kind of how that starts to go for the trip to the beach. And this scene's kind of funny to me because there's a um, scene between Gonhin and Tin where Tin is sitting there very upset that Can forgot his birthday. And Gonhin says, you know, what can I, what can my mom make you for dinner that would be nice? And he says, I really don't want to eat someone. He says, I would really like to just devour someone who forgot my birthday. And Gonhin's sitting there going, you know, I know that you're upset at Can. And he just, he sits there and he laughs about things. I mean, he sits there and looks at Tool and his inability to react to the world at large in a in a nice way. And he looks at Tin and his inability to look at the world and interact with it in a nice way. And he sits there and goes, you know, that's just the way you are, but you still have good qualities. And I think that's what makes Gonhin such a likable character in the story. Although you do have to sit there and wonder, how was Tool lucky enough to get gone hen. I mean, no offense, it took 20 years for Tool to finally realize he liked gone hen. And you're going, you know, you didn't grasp that concept way before then. I mean, I'm sorry, but Anna's having a little digression here. As the story progresses, it is Tin's birthday, and he gets a ding on his phone from Can to not come back to the condo. And he's going, this is weird. And so I love the facial expressions of meme plan in the elevator scene. It is just so hilarious because he's sitting there looking at his phone going, why am I not supposed to come back for an hour? And then he comes up to the condo door and he hears this yelling saying, fire, fire, you know, disaster striking. And he opens the door and this is why this is not for the kitties because um, in Asian film, they block out everything that would be considered inappropriate, whether it's physical or whether it's alcohol or whether it's anything like that which is one of the reasons Anna really likes Asian film because 
I don't really have to skip huge sections in Asian film. But it looks to me like that um, Ken is wearing nothing but an apron and trying to deal with a skillet that has gone totally awry in the sink because he put way too much oil in it and then he turned it on. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, clothes are a good thing because naked people have little to no influence in society, as Mark Twain said. And so... Ken is sitting there trying to do with his skillet, trying to do this because his sister said this would be a great birthday present for Tin. And Tin's sitting there trying to figure out what on earth Ken is doing in the kitchen, number one. What on earth he's doing wearing not much but an apron. And number three, why is he trying to cook anything? Because Ken can't cook. I mean, he has many great qualities, but cooking would not be one of them. So he's sitting there trying to take this all in. And then he just kind of laughs about it and gives Ken a hug. And then they have a little romantical moment. And then that scene cuts. Um, then we go back to A, who is learning to play guitar, which you're thinking probably goes back to the song at the beginning that he was looking like he was going to be starting to play. And he is being assisted by one of, I think it's Toom's friends, who's in the music department. And Toom comes out, and I think this is kind of a, they really smash some things together here at the end to try to make this final episode just be finished. And you're really not quite sure what's going on, but Toom, I think, is having the dilemma because he's always liked Tar, his stepbrother. And now he realizes he really does like the other kid that's in the music department, and he doesn't know what to do with that. And so we have this little moment where Toom is sitting there on the curb by the other music student. The music student says, what's wrong? Is your brother not okay? Because um, Tar came back to visit to basically tell Toom it's okay to like somebody. You know, there you go. And so basically to give him permission to live his life and have a good life. And so Toom's sitting there in the curb. He's like, I'm upset. And it's because you and, and the music student says, well, what's up? Why, why was it behind me? He says, you know, never mind. No, let's not worry about it. He says, okay. And you know, that's what I do like about the music student. Because he's like, you know, something's bothering Toom, but I don't need to know what it is. And, you know, that's okay. And so I'm guessing they're going to make a new series with title in it and this other actor that would just be about that part of the lives. And then we go to, um, as the story progresses, a is making a song, and he's basically trying to make a song for Pete that explains how he misses him and what their lives were like together. And he says, you know, I tried to do this song, and you know the thing I love about A is he may not know how to do something precisely well. It's like he cannot, he pretends to not play the guitar at all. And in real life, I believe um, Perth plays quite well on the guitar and also sings quite well, but he doesn't really sing or play quite well in the scene because, you know, A doesn't know how to sing or play the guitar very well, but he's trying to reach Pete. So he's made a little song for Pete that basically says, you know, our story's not done and it really didn't even get started. And I can't really write this song without knowing the sections that are missing in the story because you're gone and there's no way to really reach you in this. And he closes with basically saying, you know, I know you think that the distance is going to make a difference in our relationship, that we're not going to move forward on this, but it really doesn't matter how long you're gone, I'm still going to be waiting for you. And I really think with A, that's true. I mean, there's a few people on the planet who it's like, you know, they settle on one thing and 
that's it for them. And I think in many ways that's healthy. In some ways it's a little sad because like, well, if that one thing doesn't work out, that's kind of it. And no offense to anybody, but it's like the one thing about this scene, though, is you're flipping back to seeing Pete looking at the video on Facebook. And he's basically all you see is his fingertips on the keyboard and he's got tears running down his face because he's like, darn, this really reached him in a way that the other things apparently didn't. And then we go to Can and Tin on the beach, trying to have a nice beach time, and Foon and Hin and Tool on the beach, trying to have a nice beach time. And then Pond, Pond's friend and A's friend and A are on the beach, because they all came together to the beach because they all decided to just kind of do that. I think a lot of, I think Can and Tin wanted to go to the beach, and then everyone decided to come along. So anyway, but the scene between Gonhin and Foon in this um, part of the episode is very, very good with how they relate to kids. And again, most shows do not relate to children well, which really annoys Anna because I'm like, kids are kids. I mean, they're they're humans. Why do we treat them so differently than we treat other people? But anyway, Gonhin is watching over Foon because Tool had to go take a phone call. And he says, Foon looks at Gonhin and says, I don't want you taking my dad away from me. And, you know, Gonhin gets that because, you know, Gonhin's lived with Tool as a kid. Gonhin's lived with Tin as a kid. And they're very possessive about what relationships they do have. And Gonhin sits there and says, okay, you know, I'm not going to take your dad away from you, but what if I just stay with you and your dad and I look after you and I protect you and I take care of you too. And, you know, I can bake. And then it is so funny to see little Foon because he sat there and he goes, oh, he can bake. And then he moves a little bit closer to Gonhin because he's like, this guy's going to make me cookies and cakes and all that kind of stuff. And so then Tool comes back and he said, and Foon looks at his dad and says, Gonhin says he's going to stay. And Tool realizes at that point that Gonhin and Foon and Tool are going to be okay together. And it's just kind of a little moment where they sit there and realize everything's going to work out that way. Then we switch to Can and Tin, who are trying to deal with... Can does not want to put on sunscreen. Tin's trying to put on sunscreen like Can's a little toddler, because Can is kind of a little toddler. And then we go and they're having um, some food at the beach, and Tin doesn't want to get the shrimps out of the container that they're in, the crustacean shells. And Tin says, you know, you're doing that. I'm tired. And he says, okay, yeah, you're right. You're tired. You went to the States for work. You're trying to do school here. And he, he basically just shoves a shrimp in Ken's mouth or in Tin's mouth. And they have this little moment where they just kind of sit there and appreciate that the other person is there in their lives. And that's the one thing I do like about Tin and Ken's relationship, I think, the most, is because they are so grateful to have one another. And I don't mean it weird. You really don't see gratefulness in relationships. I mean, and I'm not trying to be bad to couples or anything. It's just when I see couples together, they're usually just not thinking about how blessed they are to have that other party in their life. And with Tin and Ken, they truly do know that they are appreciative of the other party. And you know, Tin and Ken are a very odd couple. They're a very crazy couple. They're a very off-the-wall couple. But you know what? They're a couple that I think if it were a 
real life story would probably work out in the end because they do appreciate one another. They're willing to sit there and look at the other side of things. They're willing to give the other party a chance to say what's going on in their mind. And they both come from very awkward um, social behaviors. I mean, Can is awkward, Tin is awkward, but together it works. And then we have a pond and his friend who are just kind of at the beach to get intoxicated, which totally fits those two. And then we have A, who is sitting there looking at the two nincompoops of a pond and his friend. And then he's looking at the ocean. He's going, you know, this is this is where I was going to take Pete eventually. And I never got to take Pete here. And so he basically takes a picture of the ocean and he's sitting there. And I really think it's poignant in this scene because he's wearing a t-shirt that all it says is believe. And he's looking at the ocean. He's like, you know, I do believe this is going to work out. And then he looks at his phone and he gets a ding and it says, I'm back, Pete. I'm back, A, Pete. And it's very interesting because in the original by chance, they used faces for the different text messages. But in this in this series, it was just the bracelet that said from me to you that A is always wearing that is Pete's emblem in his text. And at that point it's like, you know, you don't know how it's gonna work out with A Pete and A. I'm I'm guessing they're gonna be fine. But you know, Everyone thinks that when, you know, they say they're back, everything's back to normal. But that's not how it works. You know, there's been time. There's been distance. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with, you know, the fact that Pete's dad is probably not going to be too happy Pete's back with A. I mean, how do you balance all that? And I'm hoping we get another series that deals with not just the fact that Pete's back, but how did they deal with that? How did they react to that situation as a couple, as individuals, with their families, with their friends? That would be an interesting series to see. Because, you know, it's not all about, you know, everything working out perfect, but it is about everything working out. And with that is my review of Love by Chance, episode 13, of by Chance 2, episode 13. Oh, and a little side note, we also have a conclusion with Techno and Claw in this episode, which again seems extremely rushed to Anna, but this is another really weird couple, and I'm, again, not really sure why they put them in this series, because they do not show the care exhibited by Tin and Ken in their relationship, or A and Pete in theirs, or even on, you know, the one side with Gonhin caring a lot for Tool. Tool doesn't really do much for Gonhin, no offense at all, but I'm just saying, um, Techno and Claw are just a weird couple, but Techno has decided he's going to be with Claw, and Claw is trying to be the person he needs to be to be with Techno, which is kind of funny to see because he's so freaked out about screwing it up again because he really did mess things up massively when he first tried to be in the relationship with Techno. And also, he's very awkward, and so he's trying to be this impressive person and techno is just like you know just be honest just be yourself and it's really hard for claw to do that so i don't know how that one's going to work out in my opinion they're the relationship i think would be the least likely to work out of anybody in this show simply because claw isn't good at being honest claw is not good at being you know trustworthy about things and techno is somebody who I think is going to need that in the long run, and so most people do. I mean, no offense, honesty is a good policy in everything. But this relationship was interesting to see in juxtaposition to the others, where trust and being honest with people was kind of a big deal. And with Claw and Techno, 
it was not for Claw. I mean, and so trying to deal with that was kind of interesting to watch. But again, they kind of rushed this last bit. I'm really not quite sure why they didn't just, you know, make another episode to kind of clear up the Claw thing and also to make things with um, the other relationships a little less crammed together in this episode. But, you know, they probably were just running out of time and that's what they had to do. But that is my review of Love by Chance 2, episode 13. I cannot recommend the series highly enough. It is one of my top favorite series, and not just in BL drama, in drama of all time. But again, this is not a show for kids. So I'm going to put that huge, massive caveat there, just so everyone knows. Do not sit down and watch this with kids, unless, you know, your kids are more mature and you're okay discussing certain things with them. And not because there's anything intensely inappropriate in this at all, but because there is some things. There's discussions on sexuality. There's discussions on relationships. And there are just certain things that your 8-year-old probably doesn't need to watch on the TV. But, you know, if you do have a 14-year-old, it might be a good idea to sit down with them and watch this and just to have this discussion. Because as awkward as most people find that, I'm going, you know, the more we have open and above-board conversations with our kids, the healthier our world will be at large. Because, really, it's just a reflection of us if we can't have those conversations comfortably. So, I mean, and I'm not trying to be a psychologist or psychoanalyst or anything like that. I'm just saying, I'd rather have my kids sitting down with me and watching something like this than trying to go to their teenage kid friend and trying to figure out things. I mean, no offense. I'm just saying, you know, discussing things with your mom is way better than discussing things with your high school friend who also has a mom who doesn't discuss things. I mean, I'm just saying that's Anna's personal opinion on this. And there are some movies that provide excellent teachable moments. And Love by Chance 2 is one of them for kids. Now, for adults... I just like it because the level of care shown by A. A is like Anna's favorite character in all of drama, period. But, you know, and it's not because I like Perth Tanapon. I think he's a great actor, don't get me wrong. But the character of A is just superlative. I mean, it really is without pure. So that's why Anna really likes Love by Chance and Love by Chance too. And with that, Anna out. Check it at the round table. Bye.